0: welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. We're continuing our coverage of COVID-19 and its impact on impoverished communities across the world. Today we continue to look at Myanmar and Indonesia. On today's program, we'll hear from Debbie Stoddard, the coordinator of the Alternative ASEAN Network on Burma, an organisation established in 1996 to support a national and grassroots movement of Burma Myanmar working for human rights and democracy. For over 30 years, Debbie has been active in struggles across Southeast Asia. Today's audio was recorded over an international Zoom meeting hosted by AFIDA, Union Aid Abroad. At times, Debbie's internet connection becomes unstable and that is audible across this recording. I thank you in advance for your patience. If you want to support the COVID-19 appeal of AFIDA, you can go to their website, which is afida.org.au and follow the links to donate to their appeal. Now, Debbie Stoddard.
1: COVID-19, the pandemic and how it's, um, um, how it's, uh, uh, the responses have been formulated are really uh, exposing how fouled up the whole system is. All the gaps and all the weaknesses of the, 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 the violence, the inequalities and injustices of the global capitalist system is actually becoming so exposed now. So what, what we are seeing is that uh, the I think whether it's in Brisbane or Bangkok or anywhere, any part of the world, people who were urban poor, indigenous displaced, migrants, asylum seekers, women, people in the informal sector have become more vulnerable. And we've also seen now um, um, uh, middle class and other working class people who have been, who've joined the gig economy or become contractors. Uh, do using, doing contract work for their livelihood are now even more vulnerable as well. But also we've started to see that people are at a heightened risk of violence, harassment and extortion um, in workspaces, public spaces and at home. And, the, and particularly when we talk about domestic violence, it, a lot of it is affecting women and children at home. But um, even in Thailand, which is a relatively rich country in the region, we're starting to see cases where people are actually killing themselves out of despair because um, they're just unable to cope financially. They're not able to get access to very basic social services and protections. And this is um, an example of how the economic boom in Southeast Asia and East Asia failed and uh, refused to take into account the need for social protections because there was, it was always assumed that our economy will be, so, uh, will be growing at such a pace that the trickle-down effect would protect people at the grassroots, but it actually hasn't. And the, um, the COVID pandemic is, um, is exposing that reality in a very dramatic way we've already seen many cases of hate speech and racist violence happening in countries of the North, including in Australia. And we're also seeing that racism and that violence uh, manifested in Asia in the form of, um, not against Asians, of course, um, but actually against migrants and asylum seekers. In Malaysia, we saw a spike in anti-Rohingya hate speech, Rohingya being the um, the uh, Muslim minority group in Burma facing genocide. And Malaysia is one of the countries that received many boat, Rohingya boat people. And now they're being uh, demonized for um, uh, uh, being infected by, by COVID. Um, and when the government, uh, uh, when the government, Uh, promised not to criminalize people who sought medical treatment or got themselves tested for COVID. Uh, People breathed a sigh of relief, but then on May Day, on Labor Day itself, the uh, Malaysian authorities went on a massive crackdown, and they continued to do so to round up so-called illegal migrants um, under the guise of protecting the population from COVID infection. In Northeast India, the uh, indigenous groups there um, uh, appear to be more East Asian in appearance, and they've been um, subjected to being spat in the face and being called COVID and being harassed in the street and public spaces by uh, mainstream Indians. In um, Burma, Myanmar, we're seeing that people are really, people who used to rely to survive out of the remittances of migrant workers from China and from Thailand uh, are now seeing some of the many migrant workers returning and there's a great deal of fear about them potentially bringing virus into the country. All around with quite Syrian and denial of services and that has extended to migrants also uh, being very, very afraid to even seek food, to go out and seek food because we're seeing more checkpoints sprouting up all over our capital cities. So um, people are afraid of being arrested and dragged away by the cops or the military. And, then, and and so many of them are starving and not seeking any kind of assistance. And these are not just adult migrants. These are also the children and the, the young dependents of these migrants. Mm-hmm. um I think if it's a one big lesson learned for us it's understanding and realizing the massive harm that corporate capture has um, um, has caused to all our economies globally and particularly so in Asia, where the link between political um, parties and corporations is very very strong and so um, we we've seen uh, uh, a privatization of social social services or um, a skewing of resources to economic and profit opportunities for corporations and crony businesses, and this is why we are start uh, when 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 we were we were shocked at how slow it took the Indonesian government to start. Uh, measures in Jakarta, which is one of the densest populated cities in the region, they, the, the, Jakarta was very slow in trying to imp- uh, impose social distancing and other p- health, public health precautions, and people were asking why, and it's very clear, many, gov- many businesses didn't want business to shut down in Jakarta, and they saw that the people most likely to die from it were actually the urban poor. So I think um, there was an assumption that somehow rich corporations and rich business people would be insulated from COVID-19 in Jakarta. Um, and, I, I, and I saw many Indonesian activists being very frustrated and angry at the slowness of the government measure because um, uh, in, a, in, a, in a densely populated city like Jakarta, but I think the lesson learned for all of us is we do need to combat corporate capture of uh, policy um, development and economics in the country. And uh, we need to be able to grab high international level in human rights, who very, in in his first uh, few of the mandatory measures globally for making us less capable or less able to um, the pandemic. So when we are looking forward, we need to understand that the stimulus packages, the recovery plans, all of that, we do need to combat corporate capture in that process and make it more transparent and open and people-centered. We've also started to see uh, in many countries how governments were very quick to strengthen militarization and securitization under the cover of COVID-19 responses. And in places like Indonesia, and in Philippines, for example, we saw a public humiliation of LGBT uh, people who were uh, uh, suspected or caught um, breaching um, the pub, pub curfew. They were actually publicly humiliated and forced to perform sexual acts as public humiliation. So that harassment is there. We also receive report. We've seen reports of um, uh, poorer urban women being forced to uh, provide sexual favors or pay money because they were trying to get through a police checkpoint to go to work or to do uh, business. So we're seeing that harassment increase in some cases. And um, of course, in Burma, Myanmar, which is a country that takes up most of my focus, uh, we were quite shocked when one of my researchers, Dan, revealed, he said, did you realize that in the first month after WHO declared the pandemic, there were 80 military attacks affecting civilians in four states across western and northern Burma, Myanmar. That's 80 attacks in which civilians were affected in one month in one country. And uh, uh, just last week, the military of the country dismantled um, COVID-19 screening um, huts organized by the Korean National Union to try and screen people who were entering their area for fever and symptoms of COVID-19 And um, that actually sparked more fighting in that area. So we're seeing this very uh, clear relationship, the intersection between how the militarization and securitization of COVID-19 responses has actually uh, Cause an increase or escalation in armed conflict. But um, all around, whether you're in China, in Malaysia, in Myanmar, and elsewhere, um, we've already seen a, a, a significant uh, harassment of human rights defenders and media. And he, some of these human rights and defenders and media are not only um, exposing or questioning government, government um, incompetence uh, in COVID responses, but also exposing other ongoing crimes and human rights violations. For example, in Indonesia, we've had a journalist arrested because uh, um, he was exposing indigenous uh, A lot of people also fail to notice is that Indonesia is proceeding with development of the world's largest oil palm plantation. So um, all of these, and, and and we've been noticing even in uh, Australia, the government has been dismantling uh, environmental protections and uh, passing or um, permitting um, uh, per- permitting projects that are going to ha- cause serious, long, uns- uh, serious irreversible harm to the environment and to people's health. So we do need to understand what's going on in Australia. Is going on in other parts of the region, and that's why we have a common cause. Um, we need to find. We need to keep on the energy. We need to understand that this is not the the COVID-19 pandemic is not going to be the only pandemic that we will experience in the years ahead. There will be more pandemics and impacts will intersect with the impacts of climate change. So we need to understand and take a holistic approach that the protections of community and would actually reinforce the protections that would protect us against pandemics. We need to keep on doing what we're doing. We need to actually accelerate and bring more energy into visioning, advocating for and implementing a sustainable and just global future. We need to ensure that corporate, there's no more we need to We need to oppose corporate capture of recovery packages and policies. Uh, We need to include the invisible. One of the things that we are mindful of the Zoom format is that um, this actually allows the inclusion of can't join this. So we need to find ways to ensure they are included. And your solidarity counts. And uh, if you haven't been spending money, not good, spending money buying cafe, lattes, and cappuccinos, use that money. you know, donate it to the Feeder COVID appeal so that it can be used to things that we need to also be really concerned about is our self care. Many people have been, uh, you call it, zoomed out. We are pretty much zoomed out because we've been putting our energy into this. And it is depressing to look at the statistics and to hear news about how messed up the situation is. So we need to find resources for us to maintain and feed our rage, our creativity and our energy in addressing the
2: human rights.
0: <laughs> And on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Accent of Women. You're listening to Debbie Stoddard, the coordinator of the Alternative ASEAN Network on Burma. At this point in the meeting, we went into question time. Debbie responds to a question about Thailand. In Thailand, the government has provided a 5,000 baht cash subsidy per month to particular categories of workers. The question put to Debbie was, how are the most precarious workers that are excluded from the cash subsidy in Thailand surviving the economic collapse?
1: Because there's been quite a few um, cases of suicide um, um, over people frustrated that they couldn't get uh, the supplement, the 5,000 baht supplement, which incidentally it's something like uh, uh, $200 Australian a month um, so which is not very much especially if you're in Bangkok or Chiang Mai, the big cities so um, there's been a bit of a pushback and um, there's been assurances that somehow they will try uh, to address the needs of people at the ground but this is actually um, the fundamental structural failure of the whole system because um, all our economies are built on the back of informal workers and migrant workers, and they have actually been excluded from these protections. It may not have been intentional, but it is a serious gap. So um, what we're seeing is NGOs and, um, and um, labour rights defenders trying to... Um, uh, help informally and trying to organize at the local level. Um, and that goes back also to a previous question about what are NGOs and union, uh, unions and uh, labor organizers doing? And uh, what we're seeing is that whether it's in Malaysia where people are actually um, finding ways to uh, negotiate their ways around uh, the restrictions to deliver aid directly, um, the, the Thai system actually was quite good on paper because it actually allows the government to pay money directly to people rather than the U.S. system, which was basically routing funds to true corporations. So um, we just need to actually push the authorities to get outside of their comfort zone and find ways to Um, to make sure that the informal workers are able to have access to those services. I think um, if you look at the problem of humanitarian aid, even trends in humanitarian aid, where um, international NGOs are self-congratulating for giving credit cards to refugees and displaced people, this, this actually reinforces some of the fundamental social gaps within the society, within the home. And, and, um, and assume certain things about people's access to information and to movement. So I think we do need to think quite seriously about that. But what is exciting is that in places like Burma, there are civil society groups who are providing aid, who are providing information, because the government was, the government was very slow to do that, especially in ethnic minority and rural areas. Um, one of the groups that we work with even set up a, a quarantine zone for returning workers, so that they could uh, have a safe quarantine rather than be forced to stay with overcrowded in overcrowded homes with other with their families. So there are people and there are groups who have being very innovative and very concerned and very engaged and they're doing it for very little resources. So we do need to make sure that the resources get out uh, to them. Um, And we need to differentiate between relief and actually fundamental change. And this is something that we have to be mindful of that when we're talking about fundamental change, we're talking about a system that is manifested itself, not just in Asia, but also in Australia and other parts
0: of the world. The second question put to Debbie was around trade agreements and whether trade unionists and activists should oppose them outright or should be lobbying to have labour protections contained within them.
1: Trade agreements are very, very vilified and very heated because of what they contain and maybe uh, the potential for trade agreements to work uh, for us and for to be helpful is actually to ensure that trade agreements guarantee social protections and labor rights. And this is something that's been part of a very long-term struggle. It is, um, if we are able to transform trade agreements and investment protection agreements to protect the people rather than corporate interests, then we have something good going. Absent trade agreements, we still have a problem because there's no way to regulate or no way to com- compel um, producers, factories, and um, corporations to comply with some of the most basic um, um, arrangements. But finally, we do need we we need to understand that trade agreements and investment agreements must be um, must not trump or must not offset um, international and global um, core labor standards. And this is where we need to focus most of our attention on to ensure that FTAs and IPAs um, comply with core labor standards and that these core labor standards are expanded to take into account the reality um, that women, migrants, and urban poor are mainly in the informal sector and need to be protected.
0: That was Debbie Stoddard, the coordinator of the Alternative ASEAN Network on Burma. If you want to support the work of AFIDA and particularly their COVID-19 appeal, go to AFIDA.org.au. And that's all we have time for on today's program of Accent of Women. This week's program was produced in my study at home with the incredible support of 3CR staff. I want to extend a very big thank you to them for ensuring that this program is still able to be heard right across the country. Accent of Women receives a financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network, with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website. That's 3cr.org.au. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Giselle Hannah and I look forward to your company again next week.
2: गंगा में क्यों भरपा थोड़ी सी जपीली है गंगा में क्यों भरपा थोड़ी सी है तो नहीं तो नहीं की है हंकाम है क्यों बरपा थोड़ी सी पीली है मतलब दिल जिसे हो से दिल जिस से हो थोड़ी सी जबीली है, डाका तो नहीं डाला, डाका तो नहीं डाला, चोरी तो नहीं की है, हंगामा है क्यों बरपा, थोड़ी सी Suraj me lade dhubba Fitrat ke karish me hai Suraj me Fitrat ke karish हम को कहें काफिर अल्लाह की मर्जी है धंगाम है क्यों पर थोड़ी सी जो पील ही है डाका तो नहीं डाला डाका तो नहीं डाला चोरी तो नहीं Angama hai क्यों barbar? Pani dhar gaya ma ba dani